All right, so here we come to the sermon. Can I be real with you for a minute? There was, a, you know, I didn't grow up in the church, and so when I was first, uh, when I first became a believer and came to church, the sermon was most interesting, right? And there's all, all the other stuff. Like, why we got to go through all the other stuff, right? The other stuff is worship. It's important. It matters to us. It's formative for us. So yes, we, we've, we've been through a lot of reading the Word, we've, we've done some singing, we've, we've prayed, we've confessed our faith together, and now we come to uh, the sermon this morning, which is, again, in the Beatitudes from the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount begins the Beatitudes because Jesus wants his people to know who they are before he gets into what they should do. Jesus wants his people to know they are his people and they're blessed because they are, and they're meant to bless God and to bless others, which is what he gets into throughout the rest of the sermon. So he moves from general to specific, okay? And we're in the general now. He's making broad introductory statements about the heart attitude and condition of his people. So here's what he's doing, okay? He's describing uh, the, the condition of the building blocks of his kingdom that are set against the cornerstone of himself. That's, that's what he's doing. He says, you are mine, be like me. That's, that's a Sermon on the Mount. Be like me. And Jesus gets to say that, right? It'd be arrogant for me to say it. It'd be arrogant for you to say it. We can't say that. Well, because we've never, we've never made someone in our own image and then had them rebel against us and then come and, 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 and died to redeem them, right? Jesus has. Jesus gets to say, you're mine. Be like me. So, we're going to continue uh, in the Beatitudes this morning. I'm going to do the same thing I did last week. We're going to read all of them, right? Not just the one verse. We're going to read Matthew uh, chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. So if you've got a copy of God's Word with you, you can go ahead and turn there with me now. But join me now. Hear the words of the one true and living God. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we, uh, we bow our heads again acknowledging you as, as holy and righteous and good, but near to us, as my brother Michael prayed a moment ago, near to us, by your choice, by your free grace. Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you that you have condescended to us by, by giving us your word, and Lord, allowing us to live in a time and place in the world where we can read it in our own language. God, it's a tremendous blessing to us. So we pray now that by the power of your spirit, you would help us to understand it. Lord, give me clarity. Uh, let anything I say that is not of you, Lord, be forgotten. And use your word, but bring it to bear on the souls of your people. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we said last week 
the preacher of the Sermon on the Mount is the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is these things, and that's why we're to be these things. This, this is the Christian life. And one of the things we've seen already in the first two Beatitudes is that we are brought low before we're lifted up. Is that true of Jesus? Was he brought low before he was lifted up? Yes. We're to be poor in spirit because he was poor in spirit. We're supposed to mourn over sin because he himself mourned over sin. This is the starting point of the Christian life. And for us, that means conviction of sin. Conviction precedes conversion, always. That's always the case, negative before positive. There's no good news without the bad news first. First, we are gifted with an awareness of our sin that is felt and mourned, and then we can experience the joy of our salvation. Many churches in North America today have a, a, a false, superficial joy because they have a superficial view of sin. They, they hear that they can have peace with God through Christ, but then they never consider the war they have with sin. And, and so the peace of God offered to them in the gospel is never realized in their lives. No negative, no positive. And so what we get are false positives in the church, false indicators of a genuine faith, manufactured feelings of joy, a, a, a joy drug, joy for joy's sake, ecstatic emotional experiences that people chase, and then when they can't tap into it, when they can't get their hands on it because life gets real, uh, things get in the way, uh, things get messy and difficult, th they know that they don't feel that. That's not their experience. And so they feel like they've either failed God or God has failed them. That's the superficial joy I'm talking about. It's not joy at all. It's disappointing and frustrating. And it's dangerous. It'll suck the life out of you to chase after those religious experiences and emotional highs. You don't get joy of salvation without conviction of sin. There's no workaround. Joy comes from God and what he's done for you. And what he's done for you won't matter unless you know why it needed to be done. Right? So again, no negative, no positive. You know, it's, one thing, it's one thing to believe in the authority of the Bible. It's, it's another thing to live according to the Bible. Right? It's, it's to, to submit yourself to it. And that's what we're supposed to do as Christians. It's what Jesus is, is telling us that we should do in this Sermon on the Mount. You don't just recognize it as authoritative. You recognize it as your authority. And it's not hard. Jesus says, my, my burden is light. My, my, my burden is easy. My yoke is light. It's not, it's not supposed to be dour and, and, and stifling and suffocating. It's actually quite liberating. But we have to look at our sin. That's where the liberation is, is felt and realized and experienced as a believer. We don't ignore our sin because we know it's forgiven. We can pretend because it's forgiven it doesn't matter anymore. But if we do that, y'all, the joy of our salvation will diminish. It will diminish. Joy over salvation comes from looking at your sin and then looking back and being reminded where and how and by whom it was dealt with. You know, 
when we have a small view of sin, we have a small cross, don't we? Small view of sin, tiny puny cross. Big view of sin and all of God's law that we have broken, big cross, right? You know, you probably learned this when you were young. When you're going to cross a road, what do you do? You look left, you look right, and you look left again. And you know it's safe to cross. As we move through life as believers, we look at Christ, we look at sin, we look at Christ again, and we know it's safe to cross. And we have a chin up. And that chin up is called meekness. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Here's the main idea of the sermon this morning. Your awareness of your standing before God is what informs your understanding of your standing before men. There's no room for insecurity in the Christian life. We're not men-fearing, but God-fearing people. When we're prone to fearing men, forgetting our standing before God, we're filled with insecurity. We become defensive and, and, and selfish. When we understand our standing before God, our dealings with people become less strained, less complicated, more transparent and honest and sincere. Meekness is the quality that affords that perspective. We start with our relationship to God before our relationship to man, and that brings humility and, 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 and clarity and a confidence. We start with the vertical, we move to the horizontal. And these Beatitudes, as we've said, they, they build on one another. Okay? Poor in spirit is primary. It's our fundamental posture before God. It's our heart condition. And it leads to mourning, which is the next one he mentions, which is our right perspective of ourselves in the world. We first recognize our spiritual bankruptcy and our need. That's ground zero. That's the starting point. That's the Christian's right understanding of his standing with God. And then, and only then, can we begin to see how the Christian begins to relate properly to his fellow man. Your awareness of your standing before God informs your understanding of your standing before men. Simply put, okay, when you consider your sin and God's forgiveness of your sin, you're not prone to pride, are you? You're not prone to pride, you're prone to humility. And you have a humble strength and confidence. That's called meekness. You see how that works? If, if I understand my helpless condition, I've cried out to God for mercy, I've received mercy, and every inward look I take at myself, I see remaining sin in me, and it grieves me. How can I boast in myself? I can't. I have nothing to boast about, but the Lord, who is glorified even in my weakness, that's humbling. So there's no room for self-exaltation in the Christian life. I've got two points for you this morning. Basically, what, what meekness isn't and what meekness is, it's not weakness. Okay? It is a humble strength and confidence. So point number one, meekness is not weakness. I used to think it was. I used to think it was. When I first became a Christian, as, as a man, I was like, eh, meekness doesn't sound very manly. 
I don't get it. I didn't. I didn't get it. I confused meekness for weakness, but they're not synonymous. As Sinclair Ferguson says, meekness enhances manliness and adorns femininity. Men, listen, meekness is not a feminine quality, okay? It is a Christian quality. It doesn't mean demure, all right? You, you, you know, men, we have kind of like a, a, a play-rough aggressiveness about us that is masculine. And that's actually okay. Do you know that? That's okay. That's, that's how God made you. And the culture will tell you that's not okay, that anything overtly male is toxic, Right? It's not, but it is, it is to be tempered with humility, all right? Your natural manliness is supposed to be used in the spirit and not in the flesh to glorify God and not to glorify yourself. So don't take meekness here to mean passive, man. Don't, don't take it to mean soggy, watered down. It's not compromising. It's not non-confrontational or, or, or uh, keep the peace at any price. It's not those things. It's not niceness or sweetness or being unceasingly deferential so that you're easy to get along with. It's not what it is. And where you see that kind of thing promoted among men in our Christian circles, you see a kind of counterfeit meekness, different than what Jesus had and is talking about here. This, you know, this isn't a conditioning exercise, right? Uh, Jesus is not instructing us and his disciples here. He's not instructing you guys, men, to get in touch with your feminine side, okay? Let me, let me tell you, if nobody's ever told you before, okay, you don't have a feminine side, gentlemen. And if you did, it would be a sin for you to get in touch with it. There's actually a label on effeminacy for you that reads, do not touch, in big, bold letters. This is not what you were made for. Meekness is not a feminine quality. It is a Christian quality. And so, it goes for women too, right? And so, ladies, same thing. It doesn't mean cute or mousy and demure. Here's what it means for men and women both. When the mountain is too high, when the burden is too heavy, when people in your life are difficult to deal with and are spitting venom in your face, it's a God-given confidence that enables you to endure anything with grace and humility. Let me show you where else Jesus talks about this. We've been there already, Psalm 37, right? But let me just pluck out a, a little section here just to refresh us. It was a, it was a long text this morning. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil, for the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there, but the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundance and in, in abundant peace. The one who is meek doesn't fret over evil and envy the wicked because you, you, know, you know who God is and you know what he says and you believe it. You believe what he says about himself is true and that what he says about you is true. You have confidence 
and an unshakable God. The meek, the Christ-like Christian Jesus calls blessed, doesn't worry and fret about all the things going on around him. Your strong confidence in God protects you from all that. I I want you to imagine for a minute like a, a big rock sticking up in the, in the midst of a sea somewhere, off of a seashore. Big, huge rock, okay? And when it storms, the waves just like mount up and just crash against it and split into a thousand million pieces, droplets everywhere. And no matter how, the stronger the wave gets, the bigger the splash, but the rock doesn't move, does it? The rock takes no offense. Its actions aren't determined by the waves. That's, that's who you are because that's who Christ is. You're blessed. Whether you're a man or a woman, if you're a Christian, you're able to be meek. And the one who is meek has a humble strength and confidence that sees, that's strong enough that when it, when it sees everyone walking this direction, you're walking this direction. Meekness swims upstream. That's what it does. That's how kingdom work gets done. That's what we're about. We're about our Father's business, because Jesus was. Letting your understanding of your standing before men be informed by your understanding of your standing before Almighty God. So what I'm suggesting to you here, if if you haven't picked it up, right, is that there's a security here. You know, this is an antidote to your, to your insecurity and your human relationships. And we all feel that, you know. It's yours, y'all, because Jesus says you are mine. Be like me. Everybody wants this antidote. Where, where do other people find an antidote for their insecurity? Everybody wants this antidote. Everybody, y'all, remember, is trying to cover their guilt with fig leaves like our first parents in the garden. Where do they go to hide their shame? Where do they go to justify themselves before men? How do they convince everyone that they're good and that they matter? Worldly people are always at war with something other than themselves. You notice that? They're always at war with something other than themselves. I just remember, just as a side note, G.K. Chesterton, I guess there was an editorial that went out in a paper one time, saying something, you know, uh, about what, what is the problem with the world? Like, what, in your opinion, what's wrong with the world? Wanting to solicit some responses from, from readers and see what people said to gain some perspective. What is it that people think is wrong with the world? G.K. Chesterton famously replied, I am. Signed, G.K. Chesterton. That's, that's right. <laughs> you know, that's right. But, but by nature, we, we, we don't recognize uh, the inward spiritual battle that's going on. And so we never recognize the enemy within. And so for, for, for people who are, are not trusting in Christ for their salvation... They're always, they're always looking for something out there. The, the evil in the world is always something out there. And because it is, there's always some cause to be taken up or some activism to be involved with, and that's their justification. That's how they defend their honor. 
This is how they call themselves a good person, not because they are good inwardly, but because they align themselves with what they think is a good idea. And if you are not in favor of their good idea, you are a bad person. That's what virtue signaling is. You're familiar with the term. I'm justified by what I point to. That's fine. I'd even agree with that. You are justified by what you're pointing to. But if you're pointing to anything other than Christ, you are not justified. If what you're pointing at is a cause, even if it is objectively good and one that God would agree with you advocating for, it still cannot save you. It cannot justify you. Blood justifies you. That's the price for your redemption. Blood had to be shed in order to atone for sin. That's why we got to talk about sin. I know it's uncomfortable. There's no joy of salvation apart from your recognition of what you were saved from. Yes, we said that already. Blood had to be shed in order to atone for your sin. Ideas can't bleed, y'all. Causes can't bleed. Jesus became a man so that he could bleed because that's what it took to justify you. And so if we boast, we boast in him, our hero, our savior, our champion. We don't boast in ourselves. And that's exactly what virtue signaling does. I'm good because I'm so tolerant. I'm moral because I'm woke. I, I'm better than you, in fact, because I align myself with these ideas and these causes, and you don't. And you're an awful human being because you don't. That's madness. It's fig leaves, y'all. It's fig leaves. It's an attempt to cover their shame. They have a guilt problem over sin that hasn't been dealt with, and yours has, so chin up. Chin up. You're not fretful about all that noise, and you're certainly not envious. You know who you are because you know whose you are. You have no need to be boastful or defensive. Actually, you can say, you know what? You're right. I am a bad person, and I'm no better than you. The only difference between you and me is that I've been forgiven and reconciled to God through the blood of Christ, and you can be too. Humility. You can let stuff run off you. You can answer anyone with a straight face that is peaceful, right, and not all twisted up and angry. The twisted up and angry ones, the loud and boisterous ones elbowing their way in all the time, they do not inherit the earth. The meek do. If the meek inherit the earth, who are the meek? Jesus tells us in Psalm 37, that's why we read that this morning, it comes up again and again. Those who trust in the Lord, who delight themselves in him, who commit their way unto him, who rest in him, that's who is blessed and happy and secure, and it is they who will inherit the earth. Men and women who are gentle men and gentle ladies, Trusting in the Lord, not loud and boisterous barbarians, but certainly not passive and non-confrontational doormats either. Christians, y'all, as we think about, who, raise your hand if you like confrontation. 
Seeing none. <laughs> you know, sometimes people say, well, I, don't, I just don't really like confrontation. Y'all, nobody does, right? Like, n- nobody says, sign me up for that. Uh, as opposed to who, you know? Nobody likes confrontation, but y'all, you need to remember, Christians are built for confrontation. Built for it. Jesus is assaulting the darkness with light. And he is the light of the world, John 8. And that light is now in you. You are the light of the world. He says so just a few verses later in the same chapter that we're reading now. We'll get there later in another sermon, but take note for now. Christians are not meant to avoid confrontation. We're expected to, to, to be able to handle confrontation, to not shy from it, but, but to recognize that we're equipped for it. We're equipped to endure it. One thing I do want to touch on just really briefly and then circle back to later in the series I just want to point this out. You know, I, I realize that um, evangelicals in the Western world, there's sort of this, this predominant view that, you know, everything's just falling apart. The world's going to hell in a handbasket, right? Jesus is going to come and, like, you know, snatch the righteous up off the earth and just napalm the world. He's going to leave the wicked on it, and they're just going to go down with the ship, you know? But I just want to lovingly challenge you here, okay? If that has been your upbringing, if that's been your background, the tradition that you come from, just respectfully ask, why do you believe that? Where, where do you get that idea? Is it from the Bible? Because the Bible's chock full of verses like this where the righteous inherit the earth. You know, not... You know, not, not, a, not a cloud in heaven or a, or, a, or a mansion in the sky, the earth. And, you know, I don't say that this morning to embarrass you if that's what you've been taught. I get it. That's, that's, that's big. That's what, what a lot of folks uh, were taught growing up. I just want you to see that there are lots of verses like this in the Bible, and we're going to end up coming across them, and we have to contend with them in faith and ask ourselves what that must mean, Right? And be open to allowing that to challenge some of our ideas or traditions that we may be bringing into the Bible with us, okay? So we'll get more into that later. That's for another day, but it's going to come up, so I just want to kind of throw it out there. And it's not unimportant, you know? It's not unimportant. It's not of first importance, okay? But it's not unimportant. Here's why, all right? Imagine your parents tell you, we're building you a house over here, and it's going to be magnificent, you know? And um, th- this is going to be yours. We're going to hand this over to you one day when, it, when it's finished being built. And you drive by this house every day on your way to work or something. And you see it being built. You see the, the, the concrete being poured for the foundation. You see the sticks coming together, the frames going up, right? And every day you drive past it and you say, this is not my home. That's what... That's what many of us somehow think about the earth. But yes, it is. It's just not finished yet. It is your inheritance. Am I making that up? 
Am I making that up? Jesus is preparing a place where he can come and dwell with man and to be with him forever. That's what he intended when he made the earth and he put man in it and walked with him in the cool of the day. There never was a plan B. But there was work that needed to be done in order for that to be the case. He has done it, he is doing it, and it will be accomplished. Who shall inherit the earth? The meek. The meek are blessed. So again, meek is not weak. Jesus is not weak. Okay? He wasn't weak when he, when he lived on the earth, and neither should we be. Being meek means being able to keep your chin up and being able to take one on the chin. It feels like that sometimes, doesn't it? Huh? It feels like that sometimes, doesn't it? Did Jesus ever take a punch? Do you know how to take a punch? Did he ever take a few on the chin in his earthly life and ministry? Sure he did. And he knew it couldn't break him. That's how he was able to be patient with sinners and to boldly proclaim the coming of his kingdom. He didn't apologize for it. He didn't back down. Jesus knew who he was. And so he wasn't afraid. He was able to have that gentle strength. You know, one where he wasn't interested in defending his own honor, right, as we're prone to do. He wasn't interested in defending his own honor, but his father's. Meekness is not weakness. Now, point number two, meekness is a humble strength. I've jumped the gun already talking a lot about what meekness isn't, and so I've, I've said a lot about what meekness is, but let me go ahead and define it, give you sort of a definition, okay? It's a security and a confidence grounded in a God-given self-awareness that manifests itself in our gentle conduct toward others. That was a mouthful, so I'm going to repeat it for the two of you taking notes. It's a security and confidence grounded in a God-given self-awareness that manifests itself in our gentle conduct toward others. It's an attitude toward yourself that affects your attitude toward others. You take a good look at yourself, and you find there's nothing to be proud about. There's a gratitude there instead when you take that look at yourself, a gratitude that comes from a place of great humility, and it results in a confidence because you know that what you're holding, grace, mercy, peace with God, is not a matter of gaining and losing. It has been given to you, and it cannot be taken away, and there's security in that. So when people think ill of you or insult you, right, instead of being easily offended, you realize that if they knew you better, they'd think even less of you. And it's all right with you. Maybe it takes the sting a little bit out of, out of what people might have to say about you because you're not so self-absorbed, do you see? You're not so self-interested. You're not so self-focused. You're not demanding that people approve of you and who you are and what you believe. You're not claiming rights and privileges to yourself. You're not working hard to persuade people that you are someone worth admiring. That's not what you're about. So it doesn't make a difference. You realize Jesus did that, right? And he was God, is God. Jesus did that, though. You know, what did you find him doing and saying in his earthly ministry? Always giving glory to the Father. You think about it. How many times do you remember him saying things like, what I am doing, I'm not doing for my own glory, but for the glory of my Father. These words that I speak to you, I do not speak of myself, but of the Father. 
it's, it's the Father that dwells in me that does the works that you see me doing, the, the miracles that he was performing, always giving glory to the Father. Meekness is a humble strength and confidence every Christian possesses that causes him or her to boast in Christ and not in himself or herself. The one who is meek is not self-interested, but Christ-interested. And because he is, he's interested in becoming like Christ. And what was Christ like? Well, meek, for one, right? So even though he was scorned, even though he was hated, he, he was still resolute in his task. He knew who he was. And people didn't need to believe it or approve of it in order for it to be true. He was immovable. He didn't get offended and get all defensive. He was patient. He was kind. He didn't envy or boast. He didn't insist on his own way. He wasn't irritable or, or resentful because 1 Corinthians 13 tells us love is not any of those things. And 1 John chapter 4 tells us God is love. That's going to be it for this installment on the Beatitudes. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. You think maybe they shall inherit the earth because God intends the lifestyle of his people to reflect his kingdom to the rest of the world? Not just meekness, but all of these things. You think that might make a difference? You think he intends for there to be a multiplying effect that, that happens, that starts to cover the whole earth? Jesus started with 11 very confused disciples when he left and ascended into heaven. He's got a lot more today. He's got a lot more today. We're still confused. <laughs> and yet he continues to see fit to use us anyway. He continues to build his kingdom brick by brick against the cornerstone of himself. That's who you are, Christian being built up for the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that according to your all-wise plan, that though your creatures made in your own image would rebel against you, that you would redeem them, Lord. That you would use us throughout human history to bring glory to yourself and to build your kingdom. God, we we pray that week in and week out as we continue to look at your word and as we continue to look at the teachings of Jesus and, and the Sermon on the Mount, Lord, that we would want to be like Jesus. That would be enough for us. Would you just help us this week to want to be like Jesus? Intellectually, we say we do. We know it's a good thing to ask, but God, give us our heart's desires and make our heart's desire to be more like you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.